Hello, and welcome to the Load Management Podcast. I'm Gage Sampson, your host and producer of the Load Management Podcast. Going solo for this podcast today. I'm not going to be talking too much. Just wanted to catch up on some FIBA news. It looks like Spain has won the FIBA World Cup. So congrats to Spain and uh, Marcus All for getting a double championship this summer. He uh, obviously won with the Toronto Raptors, and now he finishes with another championship with Spain. Uh, looks like Argentina finished second, and France right behind them in third place. It was a disappointing outing for us finishing in seventh place this year, losing to Serbia for the fifth place match, and it doesn't really uh, bode well for the Olympics next year in Tokyo. If this is the team we're moving forward with for the Olympics, we could be looking at another disappointing finish. But, hey, maybe they just need some more time to mesh together and get some chemistry going. These teams that uh, finish higher than us have been playing together for years now, so and they have a lot more chemistry together, even though it might seem like the U.S. might have more more talent. That That's debatable, but the chemistry of playing together for years will will uh, always prove more like more vital in these knockout type games, uh, knockout type tournaments. Well, when it comes to the FIBA cup, but, uh, next on deck, we have something special for you guys. Our uh, first interview on the podcast. We're happy to have Derek Hanna come in and sit down with us to talk some basketball. It's a, it's a great interview. Derek goes into everything he does with the cap city league and how he got involved with it. And some of the NBA talent he's had a chance to work with and his opinions on, the state of college basketball more. So uh, here's that interview for you guys. We hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you next week. So we're here today with our guest, Derek Hanna. We're recording this September 10th on a Tuesday evening. So we really appreciate Derek taking time out of his busy schedule to sit down with us. Yeah, I think we've got something you guys are really going to enjoy today. Uh, First interview for the Load Management Podcast, and uh, I think we're starting out on a strong foot. Today with us, Derek Hanna, Commissioner of the Capital City League. Uh, which is a, a summer basketball league for college basketball players here in the Des Moines area for all of our local listeners. They get players from Iowa State, um, Drake, pretty much all across the country, right, as long as they're, as long as they're from the area, uh, the Des Moines area, the central Iowa area. So Derek has, has been there, what, for 10 years now, and he's had the opportunity to work with just a wide variety of, of NBA players, which is why we wanted to bring him in today. He's worked with players in, in various capacities, whether coaching them during the summer league, which is kind of a unique experience, I'm sure, um, to you know providing individual workouts, trainings, or you know, in all in all kind of different capacities. But he's had some really some really big NBA names come through: you know, Harrison Barnes, Doug McDermott, Kyle Korver, Wesley Johnson, current NBA players, um, you know, Monte Morris, George Niang, Deontay Garrett, as well as uh, former first round picks like Royce White and Craig Brackens. So just kind of a a whole long list of, of really talented NBA players. Derek, tell us a little bit about Cap City League and, and what is it that you guys do over there and, and kind of your role in doing that. Sure, yeah. The YMCA Capital City League started in 2004. I was a freshman in college. Okay. Uh, came home for the summer and my boss at the Y uh, was working with Troy Skinner and Dr. Davis at Drake Um and they put together this idea for a NCAA summer league. There's been a lot of cities across the country that have done this over the years. Um, and it started up in 04. I was a stat boy and, a, uh, sometimes an announcer and, and ran the scoreboard. Um, and I did that for a few years and then started to take more of a leadership role. And when Troy Skinner, um, decided it was time to step away in 2009, I said, 
let's meet up. I need all the notes. I need everything <laughs> you can teach me because it's too cool of a thing for the area to go away. Um, I love doing it. And also I knew that it was just too cool of an opportunity for, like I said, for the Des Moines area and all the basketball players and fans around here. So, so this summer was your 10th year as the commissioner. As the yep. commissioner it's our 16th. Didn't... It was our 16th year as a league. Um, and, and my 10th year, uh, running it. Yep. So give us kind of a, one thing I wanted to ask you about really quick was just, you know, what are the challenges that comes with running a league like that? I and mean, obviously the NCAA is, is part of that league in some way, or at least yep. regulates it in some fashion. Yeah. So every January, February, I start kind of on my annual, uh, duties, if you will. I have to create an account on, uh, you know, on online, I go in and I have to apply for the league, which is a long process with a lot of red tape. I've kind of got it pretty well figured out nowadays. There's every few years, there's something that changes with player eligibility, or this is how many players you can have from a certain school, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But more or less, it's, it's stayed pretty consistent and, and they're, you know, it's a, I have a long enough time period to get my questions answered and look stuff up and figure out just to make sure that I'm keeping, especially the D1 players safe. Yeah. Um, some of the challenges though, I think with running it, um, really just, you can't make any decisions out of convenience when you're, when a player's eligibility is at stake mm -hmm. or when there's small school players that no one necessarily knows or comes to see. But if we didn't have all those guys, we wouldn't have a league. You can't play four on four with the Drake and Iowa state guys. Yeah. So we really, that's one thing that I always tell our coaches is, you know, it's really fun. Everyone comes for the Iowa state or Drake guys, but it's one of the really cool parts of the league is getting a small school guy, a scholarship or getting a high school guy, an opportunity to get in front of some people that they may not have otherwise. So I make a lot of decisions and I try to help the other coaches make decisions with the interest of the small school player in mind. You know, if we're just letting the D one guys take every shot, every game, yeah, the small school guys aren't getting anything out of it and they're going to stop showing up. So that's one of the biggest challenges. Do you get scouts in there quite often? Um, not that I know of. I don't know if so. There are some rules with NCAA that D1 coaches can't attend the games because it's an NCAA league and not an NCAA event. So there's a lot of, um, right. you know, semantics with red that. Tape, right? Yeah, yeah. So we don't have we don't have high level coaches coming. Roy Williams isn't showing up. Stuff like that. Okay. Um, but we have some smaller school coaches, and we've had some overseas guys that have you know grabbed my ear for a minute when they've come. Um, that, you know, they, they're here for part of the year and then they go overseas. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but, but we do get some guys. And, uh, I think more than that, we try to get some game film. Now the last several years, we've upped our efforts in the game film area and we can collect film and have some guys edit tape. And, you know, we, we take requests from players that we can send out then to different coaches or anyone that they have in mind for. You've had players for request tape quite often. Yeah. And A lot so of the small school guys are high school seniors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now if, for our, our listeners that aren't in the Des Moines area, is this, you're not the only league like this in the nation? Um, no, we actually formed much later than say primetime in Iowa city is a similar NCAA summer league. They were going for 32 years, I think. Mm. And just last summer was their first summer, unfortunately, without having a league. Um, 
but there's been leagues across the country going for years and years and years. And it's not as common as it used to be. There used to be 40 or 50. And now there, I think last year there were 22, 23. Okay. Um, coaches are just allowed to spend more time with their players in the summer now. So they don't need the gym time of hey, go yeah. play two games a week um, in an NCAA summer league. Um, so we're, we're, we're feeling pretty fortunate now. Um, that Iowa State and Drake are still invested and, and take it seriously and send us their players every year. Do yeah, you, you get some some pretty serious people through there. I mean, we talked about before we, we got on air here, we were talking about some of the guys that you've had a chance to work with. And, and you mentioned like small school guys. And um, one we got talking about was Kyle Korver actually played in the league, probably the, you know, one of the best shooters of all time in the NBA. Um, give us a story about Kyle Korver's time with Cap City. Oh, man. 2006, I think it was. Kyle had been in the league with the 76ers for two or three years at that time. So he's an NBA player while wow, he was playing in your summer league. So he, yeah, we, we, uh, I, I wasn't the commissioner at that time. So I don't know if it was a situation where he called and set it up with, you know, the league or, or if he just thought, you know, this is going to be awesome. I'm just going to turn in my application like <laughs> any other player. And Troy Skinner opens up, you know, the application in the mail and it says, Kyle Corver. <laughs> You're like, okay, accept that right away. <laughs> so it was it was pretty cool. Kyle's uh, younger brothers, um, Clayton Corver, was playing for Drake at the time. And their brother, Caleb, was, I don't know if he was in high school or if he was transitioning from high school to Creighton University. Um, but they all three were back for the summer. Um, They're a real close family and huge basketball family in Iowa here. So um they got on the same team that was kind of their condition yeah <laughs> their their one uh, request and we you know obviously were happy to grant that and the funniest thing that happened was you know this was when i was 23 maybe i was probably 22 years old or so and i was keeping stats and announcing on the mic and corver one cor one corver was in one corner one was at the top of the key the other Corver, the third Corver was in the other corner. And sure enough, around the horn, one Corver to the other Corver, back into the corner, the third <laughs> Corver shoots it and hits a three. And over the mic, I it just came to me. I said, Corver to Corver to Corver for three. And the newspaper came up to little old uh, announcer at the score table and got my permission to put it in the Des Moines Register. So <laughs> I still have that clipping of the Des Moines there Register. And that was pretty start. fun. Yeah. See, it's it's that kind of the cool thing is you get these guys to come into a summer league, you know, you play guys play at high school gyms and, and that kind of thing. And, um, it gets a lot of local attention. You know, a lot of newspapers are out there, you know, TV goes out there quite a bit. Um, and it brings some focus to basketball in a, a time of the year where there's not a whole lot of other basketball, um, coming in. And in this league, um, you're allowed to have players from high school, college as well and apparently some some nba players too um but most of the guys that you get coming through there are current college players Correct. um and i was just kind of like i said going through the list and it looks like um you know just a long a long list of nba players that have been through there what when, when you're looking at, at all these guys that are in your league obviously you have some really good d1 players and then you have some d1 players that are, have nba futures what is it about these guys that the ones that make the NBA, what's what's the difference between them and, you know, let's say, a, you know, a really good you know, player for Drake or a really good player for Iowa State who just maybe goes and plays overseas or or doesn't quite make it professionally? Sure. 
Yeah. So over the years, I've really come to learn that it's such a fine line with some of those guys. Um, as as Iowa State has had more talented rosters these last several years, obviously we've seen some of their guys that, you know, even a lot of honest fans weren't positive would make it in the NBA. We were hopeful. You know, we thought they definitely had a certain skill or two that would make it. But, you know, there's so much talent out there. It's hard to know where guys are going to end up. But I think the really the thing that kind of separates them from the rest are, you know, obviously physical gifts that either you have or you don't. Yeah. You can't teach 6'10". You can't teach, yeah. you know, to a certain extent, you can't teach, you know, can jump out of the gym and 360 uh-huh. dunk and stuff like that. So obviously those things are the first thing you notice is, wow, this guy is physically imposing or he can do things that other guys will never be able to do no matter how hard they work at it. Um, and then I think it's just a a, a specialty, you know, any more guys get drafted to really fit a niche yeah there's like depending on the the system that an nba team's running they have you know six or seven like labels of guys right you got the three and d guy you got the rim you know the rim protector you got the uh you know the point guard like monte morris is um thankfully the smart point guard that's going to take care of the ball backup point guard you you can bring in and know he can play 22 minutes and not you know and, lose your lead or right whatever. and that's almost not even that's almost not even a position anymore some yeah. teams don't even have that position because they're going length and athleticism mm-hmm. and upside with all their spots so you know i'm i wish it would have come to um you know top of mind awareness in, or in the nba and, and fans and coaches and stuff that the draymond green position is now a position that's coveted on most teams that run pick and roll. You know, we want a second point guard that sets the screen, gets the drop-off pass, and then himself can make plays. Yeah. Had it happened a few years earlier... We'd have a lot of good, more good players. We'd have team. Royce White, you know, probably being a staple on a team because yeah. he is that. He can set... He's big enough to set that screen. He's yeah. athletic enough to roll and catch the pass. And then he's a, I mean, we all know he's a phenomenal playmaker after that. So, yeah. so that's one of those specialty skills, but we talked about Gage and I talked about that last week with, uh, I think we were talking about what Michael Beasley and, and those kind of tweeners is what they used to call them. You know, they're just not quite big enough to, to play the traditional back to the basket four, but they're a little mm-hmm. bigger than you want out of a, out of a wing. You know, they're, they're bigger guys, but, and then they get that playmaking ability and Draymond kind of opened that up for I think a lot of because we are seeing more of that now and Zion's in that mold I think too mm-hmm. and you know he's someone that obviously is a freak athlete but um, we're starting to see the NBA being a little more receptive to that type of player but there was there were so many players from that early 2010 era that just weren't quite given the, the Hoiberg era given the just before that yeah yeah it's it's if you take what you know now about Iowa State having several guys in the NBA, it's kind of unfortunate that a lot of them have been kind of tweeners size-wise. Yeah. You know, they're not really a one, but they're maybe not tall enough to be a two. Or like you said, they're maybe a three on paper, but really their skill set's more of like a stretch four, but are they really big enough to play that position? I mean, obviously, as we, if you look back 10 years, we got to be feeling really good about getting some of those guys at Iowa State. Yeah. Because um, before that, you know, it was maybe once a decade we'd get a guy that was talented enough to to get up there but um you know you asked about kind of what makes the difference between 
that fine line of good enough for the NBA and, and not. All the guys, you look at the list of guys that have played in the NBA, and I think back at their time in Capital City League, and you could just tell that they love competing and that they love playing basketball. And it really is, you know, it's they have to have those physical tools first, but that's kind of the difference. There's been some talented guys that would, you know, maybe not come to all their games. They got a lot going on in the summer. You know, some live out of state, and we have to be fair that, you know, some guys are going to go see their family and stuff. But a lot of those, almost all the guys on the list for NBA came every time their team played. Yeah, They played hard the whole time. They only know how to play one way because that's how they want to play. They don't want to come out there and just go through the motions and, yeah. you know. Looking to get better every game. Be lackadaisical. They're looking to get better every time they, they get on the court because not only are they trying to get better, but they know that, you know, their reputation is important to them too. They want to be known as someone who works hard because they know they're, you know, they're, they're thinking about their future every time they're, they're in front of fans. Is it, is it something where, you know, I know one thing that, that some of these leagues struggle with is obviously the offensive end of the court is a little more glamorous. Everyone wants to go out and put up buckets. But yeah. in the you know some of this the the rec leagues the summer leagues you see it in the preseason the all star game in the NBA defense the defensive end is one end that you know just kind of take off and when it's when it doesn't count and even if we you know Gage and I look at a lot at the statistics of uh, defensive statistics of players in the NBA regular season versus the NBA playoffs and how much they change and how much every player improves defensively in the playoffs because. When you ask someone to be a really good defensive player for 20 games as opposed to 82, there's a big difference. How is how do you see you know the guys like you know Niang and uh, Morris and you know these guys that are in the NBA right now? Do you see a difference on that end of the court even in in rec league play? I, I think that kind of goes along the same the same lines as guys that know that they have a future in it and and love it and love competing and hate to lose. Yeah. They. You know, they know in summer league where not all the even the small school guys, not everyone's given 100 percent on defense. They know that they can create an advantage for their team by really locking down their, you know, and that's when it gets really fun in Cap City League is when all four Drake and Iowa State guys are there for each team. And they're taking it personally to guard the best player on the other team yeah. that they practice against all the time back up at, at campus, you know, and they take it personal to win that matchup. Yeah. Um, because, you know, sometimes it's because the coach might be looking at the box score or the coach might be asking how that matchup went. He wants his players to compete against each other for spots and stuff, too. Yeah. Um, but also just because, you know, they want bragging rights. Yeah. Even if coaches aren't really in tune with that night's games, um, you know, they want to who doesn't if, if you're if you're one of the best at what you do, who doesn't want to be better than the guy next to him? Yeah. You got you you know another teammate of yours or, you know, even another potential NBA player on the same team or, you know, yeah. in any capacity. So a lot of those guys, I mean, you look at like Melvin Edgem, he, he didn't make it in the NBA, but he's having a great career overseas. He was a guy that was always playing hard, both ends. He'd get yeah. 15, 20 rebounds a night. He'd block three shots. He'd take a charge, which rarely happens in summer league, but you know, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's out there giving it this all boo boo. Paulo has been in the G league. He was getting triple doubles, just getting after it out there, Steal, yeah. getting, you know, annoying the other team's point guard and getting steals. And and those are the guys that, that go on. So, um, you know, speaking of players that that come through your league and, and making it in the NBA, I, I was looking through the, the list we had, and I think I found four first-round draft picks, which is 
for a, for a market like Des Moines, uh, it's kind of surprising to me, and it's it's promising, right? I think I came up with Harrison Barnes, Royce White, Wesley Johnsons, and and Craig Brackens. So, who's the best player? Uh, you said Kyle Korver played in the league. Kyle Korver was a pro when he played. He's so, the best. He's the best we've seen. Who's <laughs> Just the best he was, player? Who's he the was best polished. player who wasn't already an NBA yeah. uh, three point champion? that you've seen in the league and what kind of set that person apart? Um, so it's hard to categorize. Um, uh, I don't know if there's a solid answer where this guy was the best player yeah. other than Kyle Korver. Um, because being one of the best three point shooters in NBA history, walking into a West Des Moines high school gym against capital city league. I mean, it was just mind-blowing where he was shooting from how yeah. rarely he missed all those things and just how his the way he saw the court and passing and everything was just next, it, next it, level it's kind of funny because if you look at like kyle corva as an nba player he's known as a specialist a really good specialist and he's had some really good scoring years but he's not someone that you think about as being a, a facilitator or a playmaker but then this guy comes into a gym against d1 players even good d1 players in it's just a whole different level of player. You, yeah, if you go back to Corver at Creighton, you know, I think his playmaking ability there was probably part of his resume that got him drafted and, yeah. and all that. But then as he, as, like you said, specialized more into maybe the best shooter in modern, you know, at least as a not a primary scorer type yeah. of shooter. Obviously, Steph Curry and some of these other guys have, uh, have made their own category almost. But Corver... Um, isn't asked to distribute now just because everyone, everyone at that level can, can do what he does as far yeah. as that goes. So, um, but as far as guys that weren't pros, um, athletically Wes Johnson stood out. I mean, he was really? just could do things that other guys just couldn't do. You could throw it up. He was on my, I was lucky enough to have him on my team one summer and I would just tell our guys, you know, we're not making a lot of X's and O's in this thing. We don't have practices. Yeah. Um, we just kind of roll the ball out and, and try to, encourage the guys and you know coach them up here and there um we were just telling them throw it up anywhere near the backboard you know we all we always want the defense to be worried where's west at is he going back door yeah you know we can't even keep with him if if a lob's thrown so athletically he was just like yeah this guy's nba bound and when he transferred to syracuse out of iowa state you know a lot of the guys around a lot of people around here were disappointed but you know he fits Syracuse and what they do defensively. He's long for that yeah. for that zone defense that they do. Him. He was the fourth overall draft pick. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what else can you ask for? I mean, that's obviously it his was a goal. Good, it was a good choice on his part. Yeah. Um, as far as like a, a polished guy that was just had like a prototypical game, Harrison Barnes already. He was he played with us in high school, so we didn't see him during his college days at North Carolina. But in high school, this guy was especially his the summer before his senior year was just carving guys up. Yeah, and he, it just was very fundamental for even at that age. He was just by the book. I'm going to score. Here's how I'm going to do it. And he would post up. He would play from the perimeter and drive. And his fundamentals were just deadly, even at that time. What was that like having him? I mean, because he was like the number one or two college, or high school recruit at that time, really high up. And he went on to play for UNC. What was that like? What was the hype like around him? So that was back before I was the commissioner, but my first year, first or second year coaching, they asked me to help coach, uh, to help out and coach a team. And we're at the draft and we draw numbers and, um, you know, we go back and forth and try to make it as even as possible. Um, we drafted Iowa state guys 
and then we draft Drake guys, and then we do what we have always called an open draft of the rest of the guys. Yeah. Each team has to draw uh, has to draft at least one high school player, and then other small college guys fill out the rosters. Um, and I had the first pick. I drew the first pick in the open round of the draft, and Harrison was just that was the summer before his junior year. Okay. So I think I think some of the other coaches were hoping that I would take, you know, maybe a DMAC guy or an Ellsworth guy. There's yeah. been some really good JUCO players play in our league over the years. Um, and I remember dwelling on it for a, for a bit, not yeah. knowing what to do. This and I'm is like, a, like a sophomore, uh, an upcoming junior in high school. Upcoming junior in high school. <laughs> and I took him with the first pick. Um, and probably only because the night before I was talking to some people who were a little bit better in touch with high school basketball at that time. You know, I was only 22 myself at that time. So, yeah. you know, I wasn't real in touch with, with the high school scene. Um, obviously, Ames was on the map because they had such a good team with yeah. uh, Apollo and McDermott and stuff. But, yeah, he, he, I mean, word was getting around at that time that Harrison was going to be the thing. Yeah. And I really hadn't seen him play much at that time. But I knew, I almost knew before we even took the court that he was going places because you know you draft the guys you you're calling these 18 19 20 year old guys that are playing in college and you're introducing yourself saying you know as you know you applied to the capital city league draft with the ymca uh, i'm so and so the coach this is when we start this is our team this uh -huh. is where we play all that kind of stuff and back then when we actually made phone calls instead of just texting guys, yeah. guys would answer the phone and they'd be like, yeah, uh, yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. <laughs> Harrison answered the phone. Hello, this is Harrison. You know, you describe yourself, you know, he's like, Oh, it's a pleasure to, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm looking forward to getting started. He was just professional huh. on the phone, even from the first time that I talked like to him. 16, 17 and he was, years old. He was probably 16 at the time. Jeez. And then we get to the gym the first game. He's there half an hour before anybody else. He's got his foam roller. He's wow. re he's ready to go. He's warmed up. He's getting a sweat going because he knows already at 16, I got to treat my body right because wow. I'm going to get a lot out of it for the next 15 years, yeah. you know? And it was just like that was to me was like, wow, this guy has – so those are the kind of things to, that stand out from right. you know the guys that you know, the little extra time, the little extra care, you know, understanding what what they need to do to, and obviously it was worked out for Harrison. I mean, he just had a really good showing at the FIBA World Cup. He's I think he was third on that team or second on that team in scoring, um, and he obviously just signed a really big contract with the Sacramento Kings. Um, so really solid NBA career out of him yeah. so far. Yeah, definitely. He he approached it as a professional when he was a teenager. Yeah, he really that's crazy. Um, other other guys that we've had that came to mind as the best players we've had, you know, I mean, you mentioned the four first-round picks we've had, and really those, I mean, it's hard to say anyone else. Um, yeah. Craig Bracken's had the most polished post-game that I can remember coming through Cap City League. He could catch it and just had a, you know, a number of moves that he could make. He could go either direction. He had a good mid-range you know, he had decent range on his jump shot. He was a decent shooter, and he was just unstoppable. And he was like a 14th overall pick by the 76ers. Great player. Um, and really, the and hopefully this changes from kind of a bittersweet story, but 
the guy that really had the most like revolutionary potential um, was Royce White. Yeah. Just the most fun to watch. I mean, I, a lot of Iowa State fans would probably agree that year, 2011, yeah, 12. Yeah, he only played, what, one year for Iowa State? One season for Iowa State. Um, led the team in every statistical category. Yeah. Points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks. Yeah. Only guy to do that that year. Um, just the way he, obviously his size and being so athletic and agile for his size. Like in football, you hear the term dancing bear a lot. Uh-huh. That's Royce. I mean, huge guy. Yeah. He's like his... His hands just, he can, it looks like a grapefruit, you know, basketball <laughs> in his hands. Um, but for having that size, you know, sees the court in a way that I haven't seen anyone else approach it. Yeah. Almost just, just mentally, he experiences the game differently. And I, and it's almost hard to even understand if you don't see it that way. Yeah. And I can't claim to. So sometimes you don't even know, you know, how he's approaching the game. Yeah. So sometimes, People are like, "What's this guy talking about?" When he when he describes his approach, yeah. But you know, I don't know who could relate besides some of the better passers, you know, over the course of the game's history. Because he, I mean, he had some triple doubles at Iowa State. Yeah, he averaged a triple double at Capital City League, um, and he's was he's always been very unselfish, almost to the point that it would frustrate his fans or yeah. coaches or whatever because like, he, he he likes to pass, but. Yeah. Uh, just next level as far as what he could see. And, and it's too bad that he hasn't carved out an NBA career. Yeah, I was kind of, you know, obviously Royce White, if you guys remember, was a first round draft pick, Houston Rockets. Um, and he played a few years in the NBA. He played a little bit with the what, 76ers. Um, and then he played it over in Canada for a couple of seasons and had a productive time there. Um, and then now he's playing in the big three. And if you guys go out and go on YouTube, look up Royce White's big three highlights and you'll see what Derek's talking about. I mean, the guy can pass like, you know, like it's nobody's business, even in three on three basketball. So, yeah. So he, he gets, you know, and I won't get into the, you know, some of the reasons that he's not in the NBA, but, um, when he was in Canada, I mean, he he never really got a shot in the NBA. He was on a couple rosters, but yeah. as far as regular season games, it's like ten really day a, contracts. Really, and... a cup of tea is about it, unfortunately. But in Canada, he was on the London Lightning. Yep, and they they broke the record for wins in a season in that league. Uh, he was the MVP. He broke the record for triple doubles. <laughs> I mean, the guy is just an unreal talent. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wish we would get to see it in an NBA context where, you know, that where more fans know what's know of what's going on and and it's on the map a little bit. But it just shows you it shows you know we last week we talked about FIBA basketball and we were talking about players that have been in the NBA in some capacity, but we also talked about how many players even that aren't NBA players are just really good basketball players and whether they're playing in Australia or or Canada like like Royce did or um, you know a lot of these Iowa State guys that go and play overseas. And it just shows you that the players that stick in the NBA, it's first of all, it's a very difficult thing to do. It's a very demanding schedule. It, obviously, they ask a lot out of their players. Um, and to take that level from even being a you know a fringe NBA guy to someone who's you know like Harrison Barnes, who carved out a near max contract career, is a really difficult thing to do. Um, and there's a lot of obstacles that stand in the way of that, uh, not only on the court but off the court. It's a it's obviously. Um, there are some benefits to that lifestyle, but it's not an easy thing to, you know, they travel all the time and I cannot even imagine. Yeah. So when, when fans kind of, you know, we watch the NBA and we, we just kind of look at the game and, you know, we watch a couple games a week and, 
uh, you know, 12 minute quarters and that's all we see, but there's so much going on behind the scenes. And we look at like how this, you know, we talked about Harrison Barnes in, in as an, as a sophomore in high school is preparing to, you know, people are already talking about him as an NBA player. Um, obviously he had back then, you know, we still had the one and done rule. So he had to go to college, but there's a long journey to get to where these guys get to. And when you look at like players that are, you know, LeBron James and, uh, James Harden, the best players in the league, just imagining what they've done to get there. Obviously, there's some God-given talent there, but it takes a lot right. more than just you know being six ten because there's a lot of six ten guys who don't absolutely <laughs> who don't make. And it. I think a lot of I think the mistake that a lot of fans make is pretending to know what that is like. Yeah, I mean, the, you and I will never know. No really what that's like only can speculate and how difficult I've, it can be. i'm you know royce is a friend of mine and i've i'm familiar with his experience a little more in depth than than the others but just even that taught me and i think it kind of just taught me that any fan that criticizes a player personally for a mistake they make on the court or for missing a, a free throw at the end of a game or yeah. you know in football if it's a field goal or whatever or like Andrew Luck retiring early. Yeah. Don't pretend to know these guys' experience. I mean, you don't know how you you think you're upset that your favorite team just lost. Yeah. What about this guy that has committed his whole life to this? Yeah. You know, and some of the and some of the guys, you know, maybe appreciate the money more than they, you know, really commit themselves. Some of those guys that are just mm-hmm. otherworldly talents that can get away with, you know, you hear stories about guys that are, you know, Staying up all night, missing practice, or or doing this and that. That that's out there, but most of these guys are just giving it everything they have, and it's year round, and it affects their families, and it's just it affects their health and everything. Yeah. I mean, obviously they get paid handsomely. It's ridiculous now what they make. Yeah, but I'm surprised honestly that there aren't more guys that retire at an age where you know because anymore with Twitter and social media, it's just 24 seven. You're under a microscope, yes. and that would be so stressful. And I just can't. I think I think it's going to become more common, that, you know, that guys are like, "Hey, I'm 32," you know, in the NBA, 32, yeah. I could play for a few more years, or you know, I could spend some time with my kids or whatever it is. You yeah, know, it's just there's so many that. factors. This year, Darren Collison, point guard for the Pacers, just retired because he wanted to follow a religious career, um, and he was only what 30 years old or so. So, yeah. I, and I think some guys right. blasted him for it, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, it well, wasn't. It's not an easy. You know, they don't. Fans typically see it as a game and a game only. Right. It's really hard, I think, for people to to take the person or to put the person in the player. You know what I mean? That to separate those two is a really easy thing to do. Um, you know, and even you know, Gage and I look at st- statistics all the time, and we talk about you know wins above replacement, which is a stat that we like to use a lot. Sure. And, you know, player efficiency rating, all these things, and there's numbers associated with these guys, and that's kind of what they become is almost like a you know, an embodiment of a, of a statistic and yeah, an, uh, as, an asset that your favorite team yeah. deserves to have for X amount of years. Yeah. And in, in, in the reality, there's, um, there's a lot of things besides the basketball court that goes, goes into, to what they do and look at like, you know, the, the kind of training and, and recovery that these guys go through, especially when they, you know, get older and start getting injuries and that kind of stuff. Um, but the ones that, you know, we're talking about players that, that make it and the players that don't make it, the ones that tend to make it are the ones that are willing to go through all that. Um, you know, some players are criticized more than others, you know, rightfully or not. But, you know, the ones that, that make it, 
are the ones that are willing to put in the extra time that that have that professionalism, that Harrison Barnes professionalism. That oh, that's stuff. that's a huge part of it. I mean, you look at guys like let's see who was it that uh, that Royce actually was talking about not that long ago, Jared Dudley. Yeah, there are thousands of basketball players, not not necessarily that are better than him, but that are physically or skill set wise mm-hmm. in the same arena at least. Yes. But Jared Dudley's a great teammate. Yep. He's going to show up. He's going to be a professional. Yep. He's going to have the organization's back when it comes to being out, you know, in, in his social life or in the media, you know, and that's a huge, that's a huge part of it is like guys like, um, guys like Nick Collison. Yeah. Had a long, great career, and he's one of the most beloved players in that franchise's history with the they Thunder. They retired his number, and I think he averaged like four points a game. Yeah, had had that continued as, um, you know, the Sonics, yeah. he might not be in the rafters, but he was, I think he was on that roster when they became the Thunder. Yeah, yeah. he was the, he was, he's, that was the longest tenured Thunder. I mean, he was a great locker room presence. He's going to be a good example for the younger guys. He's going to he's going to help all the post players in that organization better for as long as he's there. I mean, I don't know if he's going on to coach with them or or what, but yeah, it wouldn't sure, surprise me. He obviously even in that's one way. I mean, obviously he's a good basketball player. We know Nick Collison's a good definitely basketball player. great player. Um, but at an NBA level, you know, he's kind of an end of rotation guy, but he brings that certain the chemistry aspect that that is so important to a team. And you look at the league right now and we see like players like J.R. Smith hasn't signed. Uh, Carmel Anthony hasn't signed. And there's just kind of a stigma with some players that, you know, that maybe they don't bring that locker room, um, you know, the value to the locker room. And that's that's obviously an important thing. Yeah. You could fill a team with certain all-stars and they wouldn't be that great because there's only one ball. Yeah. And then there's different roles that need to be filled. And if everyone's a shooter, if everyone plays, you know, the three, not everyone can play the three and D role. Yeah. Um, you want everyone to be able to do both those things maybe, but there's these different roles and some of them are very small and some of them are like a coach player type of thing where when he's on the court, you know, everyone's going to be focused. They know what we're going to be running for sets. Yeah. You know what we're going to be running on defense. You know, you're not going to see mental lapses when that guy's on the court and that's worth something. Yeah. And I think that's why we see people like Jared, Jared Dudley still hanging around in the league and Vince Carter just resigned. I mean, he's 42 years old. I know he's not a, a bad basketball player at this point in his career, but there's something beyond his basketball skill that's keeping him on the Hawks roster. Definitely. Um, so when these players are, you know, obviously you get guys that are in college in your league and they're kind of preparing for the draft in some ways. Um, I know recently players have been allowed to test out the combine and then get feedback back. That's a relatively new thing. So I don't know how much experience you've had with that. Um, but is there anything that, you know, players are focusing on at their time during, you know, with you? Is there something the NBA teams are telling them that they need to work on? Because um, when Gage and I are looking at NBA rookies, it tends to seem that the player, the NBA rookies that are productive and that get minutes early are the ones that figure out the defensive end of the court. Um, you know, unless you're like the number one, two overall pick for a, a tanking team, you're going to play no matter what. Um, but like Talon Horton Tucker, mm-hmm. the Lakers, he's probably going to, get into that rotation in some ways because of his defensive upside um, because of the, you know, has, he has the longest arms I've ever seen. Yeah, so indeed. <laughs> so if, you know, is there something that you're seeing from, from guys like, a, you know, that you're kind of your fringe NBA guys, guys that may or may not get drafted. 
I think Iowa State has had a run of guys drafted in the second round, like um, Morris and Niang. And sure. Um, as far as you know, what I've experienced with guys that are testing out the waters, there's been a couple guys like Lindell Wigginson. Um, I think tested out those waters after his freshman year. Decided to come back for his sophomore year. Um, and, you know, and I'm not I'm not close to that situation. He was on my team that summer. Um, of his of after his freshman or no before his freshman year he was on my team this the next summer um, that he came back he was on a roster but he he was still testing out the waters and he decided not to play before his sophomore season Um, and I think that's probably as far as Capital City League goes that's what we see when that's kind of one of the indicators to us because I try to leave the coaches alone and leave the players alone as far as you know getting into their business about what are your plans or whatever? You know, I, yeah. I, I hope now that the Drake and Iowa state coaches trust me that I don't share any of that. Even if I were to find out yeah. uh, with, with our social media or whatever it is. Um, but a lot of times they'll be more careful with their, with their bodies in the summer. If they, yeah. if they think they might be doing something um, as far as, as far as the draft goes and what like they're looking for now, it's one of my biggest, oh my gosh, it's one of my biggest pet peeves <laughs> with the NBA is the way they draft yeah. nowadays. Everyone is going for, like you said, Taylor Horton Tucker's long arms. Yeah. Long arms help in basketball, no doubt about it. If you, if Michael Jordan's arms were two inches longer, he would have been even better than he was. Yeah. I, that's true. But there's guys that they're drafting because they're 6'10 and athletic and have long arms that don't know how to play basketball. Yeah. Maybe they will in a couple of years with some more coaching. Maybe they should have stayed in college a little bit longer to really get some like fine tuning coaching, yeah. but their drafting on potential just drives me crazy. You got proven producers like George Niang, great basketball player, knows how to do everything in the game, but because he's not a, you know, six ten and with long arms and can jump 50 inches. Yeah. He fall. I mean, he got drafted which is awesome to the yeah. second round, but um, you know, and they're drafting guys that are, they're looking for young guys. Like being young only. is a, is like a, is like a plus on your draft sheet. Yeah. And I don't know why that is anymore, especially with one year contracts, two year contracts, three year contracts, teams reassess their whole organization every year. Yeah. Like why, why, why do you have to have a 19 year old? Sure. He might be around for 15 years if he turns out to be one of the best players, you Pretty know, rare, in the modern, you know, in, in the league at that time. But like a guy that's 25, you know, went on a mission trip during college, he might not even be looked at. Yeah. And I don't understand that because well, like he could, help your, he could right. help your team for three years. And then, you know, nine times out of 10, a guy's onto a different team if he's still in the league at that time anyway. Yeah. And a lot of, we talk, Gage and I were talking oh. about how. Yeah. I, I wanted to interject there. I, I think the reason teams look at younger players is if, say, you have a, Say you have a 19-year-old and like a 22-year-old. So you have a freshman and a senior, and they kind of both produce at the same level. Teams are going to look at the 19-year-old production compared to the 22-year-old because he's three years younger, so they're going to take a chance on the 19-year-old who has probably three, four more years. Could be on the upswing of his yeah. of his output. Yeah, I just that, think it's that interesting that almost sometimes the NBA has taken it a little bit too far. Where you oh, can yeah, get a yeah, really yeah. good college player. If uh, And I'm going to blank on the guy's name. There was a guy that, that played for Iowa State maybe three or four years ago. Uh, he was a guard, and um, he transferred in. He was a grad transfer. Um, 
he was one of their best players, and I'm going to totally blank on his name, but I, I thought he was like an older 25-year-old. DeAndre Kane? DeAndre Kane. Yeah, and I thought NBA talent. When I when I watched mm-hmm. him play, I'm like, this guy should be an NBA. But he was like 25 ish when he came out of he was a little college, older, yeah. And he didn't get any consideration at all. The um, Lakers gave him a chance, I think, but I don't know much. Yeah, about I think it. they did a workout, but yeah, um, but yeah, you're right. I think you're right. I the mean, league, the league looks young. If if a young guy has produced already at a high level, absolutely. Yeah. But a lot of times they're taking even unproven guys that are long and athletic yeah like and they haven't even shown much yet yeah. other than you know at a, at a combine they can put up some crazy numbers yeah but yeah. they you know have, haven't actually had a you know college season or an overseas season that and you see that a lot with european players too they'll take guys that, definitely that are playing on european teams that are averaging like three or four points a game that they're 17 years old but they're passing up on players like niang players like you know nader that um proven college basketball I think players. they do that just because they've been playing professional basketball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, overseas is a little different. Yeah, the competition like, is a little different. Like Luka Don- Doncic, he was playing professional basketball since he was 15, so they, <laughs> yeah. they take a chance on it. Even though Luka didn't really even have amazing stats when he was in Barcelona, but they're going to take a chance on him because he's been playing professional yeah. ball. And it's like... A little more mature game. Yeah, so I, I, I know what you're saying. Like Players like maybe like Mo Bamba or like guys like that who haven't really shown that that they're amazing in college but that just like being seven two like he's like seven two and seven eight wingspan i mean you got to take a chance on a guy like uh, that. yeah on a guy or, like that or even like even like Giannis. like Giannis was 17 yeah. 18 when he was drafted but he just had insane he had been playing professionally mm-hmm. a little bit in greece too yeah i mean he helps. didn't even have great stats no or like someone like dante exum who had amazing uh like physicals it's just they take chances on them because they, I mean, they play in a better league, but yeah. 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 You get, you'll get your Porzingis every now and then or, Mm -hmm. or your Giannis. Yeah. But you know, and they're, and they're getting a lot, you know, the things that they can scout now, they can kind of predict your trajectory pretty well. It's getting scary how well they know some of these things now, but you still miss just as many. And, and that's the thing is they don't really, they're not filling their, their uh, role players with draft with the draft no there's only what 60 picks a year yeah so they're they're taking guys that are you know and i almost kind of get it that it's a go big go or go home approach in the draft almost uh-huh. you're, you're looking for the guys that are going to be the cornerstone of your team for 10 years or whatever <laughs> you don't have to draft you know your your bench guy that comes in and hits a three and plays good D because yeah. there's so many of those guys now with all the talent out there that you can, you know, sign one after the draft. Well, the NBA has, and this is kind of uh, moving on to our next kind of topic here. The NBA has, I think done some things that have helped players like Niang, like Monte Morris, even like, um, Nas long where, you know, they give them 10 day contracts. Is this something that, that we've seen in the last couple of years where they can sign for up to 20 consecutive days? Uh, not be on the salary cap. They've exhibit 10 contracts. Another way that they can kind of flirt with NBA minutes. Uh, and then also the G league. Um, we've seen the G league develop, you know, it's actually not that old of a league. Um, and it's not now every team has an affiliation. Um, there has been some talk with, you know, some of the things that have been going on in, in college basketball, the, the briberies and the, you know, the shoe companies giving money out and all that stuff that we yeah. not only college basketball, college sports in general. Sure. Um, there's been some talk about um, the collective bargaining agreement can be opted out of in 2021. So they have an opportunity to abolish the one and done rule. And that's an NBA rule that, that requires the players play that they just be 19 years old. Not that they play at college. Um, 
there's been some talk about maybe requiring them to play in the G League or, um, you know, just letting 18-year-olds come right in. What are your kind of your thoughts? Because you work with a lot of players that age. You know, obviously you said Harrison Barnes was fantastic at at 16, but, you know, had he not had to spend two years at UNC, you know, how, what's your kind of thoughts on not requiring players to, to play, you know, that one year before they enter the NBA? Yeah, that's, that's a tough, that's a tough one. There's good arguments on both sides. Um, and I won't claim to be an expert on either of those sides, but, you know, guys like Harrison may have, you know, may have competed, at an, at an NBA level straight out of high school. But I think he, I think he would tell you, especially being, well, probably I definitely know being the kind of guy he is, he would say, you know, I wouldn't be where I am without my time at North Carolina. Um, and I don't know if we've had here in Iowa, if we've had enough talent that I really have a good personal yeah. touch on guys like that. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker obviously got drafted and was 17 when his, only college season began. Yeah. Which is crazy. Which he could um, maybe, you know, he would have been one of those guys that I don't know if you get drafted right out of high school without that year at Iowa state. Not that he didn't have the, you know, he's not that high of a recruit, but um, you yeah. know, it's just interesting. Like what would, you know, if he wasn't required to go play at Iowa state, I going back to when high schoolers were coming out. Um, I could have seen him getting, I mean, obviously we heard about him more because, he was committed to our, you know, one of our local teams, but you know, he kind of fits that bill of guys that they would have maybe looked for coming yeah. out of high school. Cause it's all about athleticism Athletic, and long, his body for him. Right. Yeah. And upside. See, I, I kind of, I wonder about that because I, I have a brother who is going to be a junior this year for uh, basketball and he's getting recruited by big 10 schools. And I just wonder like, wonder what he's going to do when he gets to that, senior level i'm not saying he's probably going to be an nba level talent i mean he could be very well but if he doesn't i wonder what his what he's going to do if maybe he decides maybe hey i just want to go play overseas or something or because i mean he probably has the talent to play overseas um straight out of high school because i mean as a sophomore he's getting recruited by iowa iowa state and wisconsin and stuff already so that that's a good question. I've always I'm curious what they um what I, they do about that. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a little bit more of that of playing overseas after high school because yeah. one, you know, college isn't for everybody. No. And just because you're phenomenal at basketball doesn't mean that you know you're a good fit for college. That's just a, you know the way it is. But also because there's so much talent now yeah. that spots are spoken for. I mean, there's only so many spots on teams in colleges and, and especially obviously in the pros where, you know, and this is kind of where it comes into maybe an unpopular opinion <laughs> that I have on, on this is that from a player's perspective, um, this isn't the unpopular part, but from a player's perspective, I get it, you know, they des- you know they have the right to to choose what what's best for their future yeah. for themselves and for their families because a lot of times you know that's the the thing that they're considering if if you can go if you can go now if your stock is high enough to get drafted now regardless of when that is yeah you know i c- i could never blame a guy for for trying for that if that's that's their dream you know from a here's the unpopular opinion perhaps from a game perspective, from a basketball perspective, or maybe even an NBA, NCAA, like organizational perspective, I really think it's best 
for those from the, from those angles, it would be best for the game if there was some kind of you know you got to play two years or three years, kind of like college football. Yeah. If you don't come out right away, I think having the option to come out, you know, I'm not I don't know enough about it honestly to to really have an opinion on whether they should come out after high school or not. But I think it would do the game a lot of good if they went to school for two or three years. Instead get of doing some, one and done. Yes. Get some more coaching. I mean, if Anthony Davis would have gotten coached for a year or two more, yeah. I mean, he's an amazing player. We might still see the same version of him because he he works – I'm sure he works hard on his game anyway. Yeah. But there's some guys who are one and done. They get up in the NBA. They sit in the middle of the bench or the end of the bench their first year or two. They like the checks they're getting. They get complacent, and they never really take off. I mean, yeah. that happens to probably probably the majority of the guys, you know, have two, three years in the league, and then they're they're on to whatever else. I think one player we saw that with was Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, um, he got kind of – he got kind of – I wouldn't say complacent because I really don't know him. But from what I've read and from what I've heard that, you know, he had the good four years of his rookie deal, and then he got the max contract, and then he kind of just – coasted right? but he was one of those guys that had all the potential in the world coming out of and he still might he's only 24 high school yeah but then you know kind of just hasn't lived up to what they expected um, to be and maybe you know if he spends spends a couple more years in college do you kind of grow that game even more um yeah and i what i would like to see the nba do more of is and baseball does this amazingly is some kind of farm system um even if if it if they even apply their like one and done rule to it, like have these players come to the G League and have them get paid properly, or like just something that they can get more professional experience. I mean, I'm not saying that they should. If they want to go to college, they should go to college. If they want to get an education, I'm not saying they shouldn't. But if like these guys think they have a chance at the NBA, maybe play one year in the G League or two years in the G League and get accustomed to like how fast paced the the game is at that the level yeah i think that would make some sense and get like financial advisors for these guys get them because yes. one of the things that i i've read and, and it's just terrible is these players who come from poor communities and poor families and they get thrusted with millions of dollars and they don't know how to handle it yeah. and then you see i think it was like 80 percent of pro players go bankrupt after like two or three years out of since they're out of the league it's just <laughs> yeah. it's crazy and that's that kind of is part of the reason I think that they should, if they go to college, they should stick it out for two or three years, whatever it is. Um, I mean, they're, it, it would hurt the NBA for a year or two while those one and dones are going to their sophomore year because yeah. they have to. It would affect the NBA for one or two years. But then once it was up and going, they wouldn't need those, they wouldn't need those guys right away. There's so many guys. I mean, there's phenomenal players not getting a shot in the NBA because yeah. there's just so much talent out there. Guys yeah. are specializing in basketball from age five on, you know, all the AAU stuff. But And that's why I think we've seen European leagues grow so much, too, because even talent from the U.S. is going over there and, and making, you know, look at like what's even obviously end of his career, like Stefan Marbury went over there and was the best player in, in China. In China. I um, think... I think I would be okay if, for players having to stay in the NCA for a long period of time if they were able to profit off their their image. I think, I, it, and I understand why players want to get out because I mean I think it'd be better for college basketball. But I think if they were allowed to make money off their image, I think it would be more of an incentive to stay. 
and like develop. For sure. Because if these guys, they don't want to stay in college because if you get hurt in college, you lose your draft stock and you lose money. And it's just, and I, and I can For understand sure. why. Yeah, and that's, that's another thing where I would, I think, be foolish to pretend like I knew all the factors that go into that. So I don't have yeah. a strong opinion on paying mm-hmm. players. But I do know a lot of players, um, some of the, you know, smaller school guys that, uh, you know, that I've had, you know, a little bit more personal relationships with that really struggle in the college atmosphere just because they don't have time to work. They don't have, you know, they don't have time to make a wage to pay their cell phone bill or to get, you know, if they have a cafeteria plan, great. But what about 10 o'clock when they're, you know, studying or working on their game? There's nothing to eat. So you, you need some money to to live on, you know, and that's really hard for some of the, the players that don't have a family to, to support them. During well, and those basketball times. is another, like pretty much a full-time, you know, a job besides school that, too. I mean, especially if you're someone who has, you know, further aspirations, I can't imagine the amount of hours that, you know, any of these guys we've talked about, um, I put in the gym. I played D3 basketball and that seemed like a lot. I can't imagine what D1 schedule, you know, let alone yeah. a, a blue, you know, a power five conference or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just your job, man, other than going to class and trying to get good grades. Now, do you hear – I know, you know, because you, you are around a lot of college basketball players, and I'm not asking you to, to name anyone or anything, but do you hear rumblings about that or complainings about you – know, you said you saw some small school guys complain about, you know, the, the money's tight. But do you ever hear players talk about, you know, I wish I was getting paid for this or, you know, signing autographs and – um, No, not really. I don't have – um, you know, now that I'm in my mid thirties, I don't have as, as many personal, you know, more f- friend type connections with the guys. Yeah. Um, and I just try to, I almost try to, if they bring it up, I would, you know, lend an ear, but I don't want them to think about it more than yeah. they already do because it's a tough situation and I don't want to make them, I don't want to put thoughts in their head that make them experience it even more negatively than they may already. Um, but another, you know, other things that kind of come to mind with, with that experience of whether they should be in college for a couple of years or not, you know, we kind of touched on it is the maturity of someone's game after playing overseas. That, that is true for in a basketball sense, but it's also true in, in just a, you know, off the court sense. Yeah. There's so much talent out there. You know, if you, if you make guys, I mean, it sounds harsh, but if you make guys go to college for two or three years, you, you weed out the guys, I hate to put it that way, but you weed out the guys that can't keep their stuff together Yeah, for two years of going to class. You know, a lot of these guys and you, there's stories out there, some, some true, some probably not, but about, never attending a class yeah. that they have somebody take their classes for them or someone, you know, they've taken all online classes or whatever, get these guys, you know, like you said, in, in some financial classes yeah. to where they can understand, you know, there might even be some different majors for some of these guys Yeah, where it's like life management or whatever it is, life skills or, yeah. or something that I think it has gotten better in the past few years. There's more out there yeah, for players to like get, be prepared for the starlight. But I feel like it was, pretty bad from like the late nineties to kind of the late two thousands. You saw a lot of players going broke and just, but I, I'm glad there's more resources out there for players and agents are helping players more. seems like, and you can, you, I think the time in college, maybe the biggest purpose that it would serve is you become 
a more coachable player, yeah. but also you have a more coachable personality. Like a lot of these guys come up to the pros and I mean, you see with Antonio Brown, yeah. um, they think they're bigger than the game or bigger than the franchise. And, you know, I like that players are, are a little more empowered than they used to be. Yeah. But there's also some really slippery slopes within that. And, and you get a guy that comes out, he's 20 years old instead of 18. He knows a little bit better how to talk to media and how to think of his approach to the media from how the coach would want him to, rather than I'm going to throw somebody under the bus because I'm too immature to, consider you know the implications of that yeah Um, we see college coaches are you know most college interviews are very controlled and there's a lot of coaching that goes into that you know like press conferences and and that kind of stuff so i think that is a value that they get and we've seen that that can impact careers too i mean people take you know those kind of things that they say seriously and so you go out and you're you know giving yourself a bad reputation that reputation tends to carry over i mean there's a reason that like Carmelo Anthony's not signed. It's not because he can't right. play basketball. That's half um, the battle is being a guy that your organization wants representing them. Yeah, I mean, like you go out in an interview and say, I'm not going to be a bench player. And that's lasted for two years now. <laughs> so <laughs> there, there is yeah. some value in learning that maybe that's not something we should say. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean like Larry Fitzgerald in a, you know, football consummate professional. Yeah. And just like, that's the kind of guy that gets a shot over someone who's out there you know, not being careful with social media or saying this and that. Um, and my last, the last thing I wanted to mention with the, the early exit or one and done type of thing is that after those first year or two, those first couple of years, I think it would benefit the college game also because yeah. the teams that have one and doneers every year, they're feeling those, you know, if Kentucky sends their whole starting lineup to the NBA, they're filling all five of those spots with guys that want to do the same thing. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's more parity than there used to be just because there's so much talent out there, but I think a two or three year requirement would even make more parity because if Kentucky only has two guys going one year, they can only fill two spots. Yeah. So you get some potential like guys that have maybe one and done type of talent are going to a Georgetown or an yeah. Iowa state or, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of those, a lot of that talent would be dispersed to other schools that don't normally get that type of talent. And eventually you've got NBA guys all over the place. And I think that's, and we saw that last year with like Dukes with Dukes lineup last year, they had like four of the top 10 recruits on one team. Um, yeah, I think you're right. If Duke, if Duke could only take on Zion and Cam Reddish, then RJ Barrett's playing for Syracuse or right. wherever. Right. I, and I, I think that I, I'm I'm in the minor, I'm not in the minority with you, you guys because I'm not a big college fan, and I think the reason is I'm not a big college fan is because the players one and done in and not sticking it out, and I just I don't I like to get to know my players, yes. and that's why I like the NBA so much because the NBA players will play with teams at least three years. It it seems like so yeah. when I get when I want to follow a team and like the guy, these guys are out of the league a year or two, it's just. It's hard to follow. That's why I really only follow like March Madness, so I can see the potential players that are going to go to the NBA. So, I I, yeah, I could agree if if there was a two year rule, I would probably follow college basketball more, and maybe more some strictly NBA fans would probably follow college basketball too. Well, that's Gage and I were talking about the other week about like the reason we like basketball more than every other sport, and we're, we're general sports fans too. We watch NFL and and all that stuff, but the reason we really like basketball is because it's so intimate. Like, especially in the NBA, like, you know, the players so well. Obviously, we talked yeah. about how much we, 
We don't know about the players, but more so than any other sport, like there's only five guys on the court. So you right. know their game really well. And they're not wearing helmets. So you see their reactions yeah. and all that, yeah. their so, emotions. Yeah. Yeah. So you get to know, like, we know what kind of player Draymond Green is and how he reacts to different situations. You know, like Kobe Bryant, those kind of players, you see, you know, how they handle a certain situations. And, and in college, I think you're right. I think there's some of the lack of college following. And, you know, you get people that follow local college teams, but I think the, the broad college following um, does struggle some because, you know, there'll be a guy for, you know, like Romeo Langford for, for Maryland. It's like he's there for one year, then he's gone. And it's like, unless you're a Maryland fan, why do you care about what he's doing? There? Right. Because you know he's not going to be there the next year. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, the days where, you know, the final four was, you know, this team's got four seniors and a junior starting against, yeah. you know, those fan bases have known these guys, like, like you said, personally they almost feel yeah. like they've known them personally if you go if season tickets or something um, you're seeing them you know they've times been through they you know they've been through triumph and heartbreak with these guys for a few years in a college setting where the game's really energetic and the fans are into it and the players are playing mostly for pure you know passionate reasons yeah. you know i think the potential um, for college is so much higher but but i agree that nba is easier to track because you know who's where and you kind of understand the you know how things are laid out and that's getting that's getting harder here recently, even with the NBA. Yeah, um, guys moving around a lot, but yeah, people have a little more powers; so they tend to bounce. But and I think a lot, kind of last point on this. Another way it may benefit the the college game is if we look at the kind of the past couple of years of the teams that have been successful, especially in the tournament. The teams that are winning, like Syracuse last year, have older guys, guys that you know, even though like um, Kyle Guy and. Um, Jerome or, or second round draft picks for for Syracuse uh, for Virginia. Uh, Virginia sorry for for Virginia yeah um, you know they were a big Gage and I went to that national championship game um, and, nice you know watch those guys and obviously they're a huge part of the reason they won the game DeAndre Hunter who was you know a top five pick was obviously a big part of that team too um, but the reason Syracuse is so good is because they can put out two upperclassmen and you know Jerome and, and mm -hmm. Kyle Guy um and DeAndre Hunter was a three-year player, too, I think. Yeah, you're right. He wasn't a one-and-done. He was a couple-year player, yeah, too. Yeah, so. And Jarrett Culver, we saw, too, for a He was a step. sophomore, too. So it was actually the, the national championship actually had pretty uh, um, weathered players. Like, yeah. And there wasn't any, I don't think there really was any one-and-done yeah, players on those teams. I think there's an argument to be the reason, you know, why Duke didn't make it is because they're so young. And they, yeah. And, and a lot of their guys were thinking about what's next already. I yeah. mean, the one that kind of got under my skin was – um, do you remember how Lonzo Ball all but checked out of his March Madness yeah. game? They lost early because he was hardly even. I yeah. mean, I'm not a big James Harden fan, uh, but he kind of reminded me of James Harden in a couple playoff yeah. appearances in his career where, you know, the team's basically benching him because he knows he's really not. He's not there. He's not there. Yeah. And I think that's why you saw those Virginia and Texas Tech um, – when the championship was because they've been together so long, you know, and that's why you see Duke flame out in the final four of these because they're just, I mean, they were so talented that it got them there, but they weren't gelled together and they didn't have those years of experience playing together that they just didn't know what the dynamic of the team was. And that's how, that's the reason they failed. Right. You see that in the NBA too, right? Like when, like the Lakers last year or the heat, the, when the heat got together their first that year, first year, it, it yeah. just does take some time. But, um, 
the chemistry chemistry comes together different in the in the March Madness tournament or in the playoffs because mm-hmm. the rest of the season, you know, it's not quite the same level of intensity. Yeah. And certain guys, you know, you don't know you know how how certain teammates of yours react in really intense situations yet because it's your first time doing it yeah well i think that's kind of um you know we covered a lot of stuff today we really appreciate you coming out and uh, spending time with us and just want to get one final thought from you so give me your nba championship prediction Uh, give me your your two teams that'll be in the nba championship and who's going to win it and we'll hold you to this and so when we have you back we'll uh we'll make sure that we you know, if the if you go ahead and say the Heat are going to win and they're the eight seed going in. <laughs> oh man, that's tough. I would need. Uh, I'm a little rusty on NBA right now. I need a. I need a a list of the off season moves. I know a lot shook up this this last year. Yeah. Um, it's going to be exciting. I I don't know. I think uh, it'd be hard to. I'm not a Lakers fan, but it's hard to think that they're not going to be uh, there at the end. Yeah. Um, probably with the Warriors again in the Western Conference. Uh, you know, and it was fun to see the Raptors break through this year, get some new, get some new blood in there. They obviously they lost Kawhi, but he only goes over to the Clippers. So crazy. An MVP on a championship winning team leaves. Yeah. Wow. It's kind of the first time we've, it doesn't have, it's not the first time, but it doesn't happen very often. So I think Gage, we had a power rankings had like the Clippers in the West. And I think we had the. 76ers in the east for power rankings it was the rockets rockets in the west yeah yeah i don't know how they're gonna make it go i mean they got they could be the best thing ever yeah westbrook and harden i mean it's an interesting the two highest usage rates the game's ever seen playing together i don't know if they're gonna take turns or or what i I love how hard minutes or i love how hard westbrook plays he plays 100 percent every night all year long he's amazing he gets too much criticism harden is Harden's not wired that way. No. <laughs> in my opinion. And that's why I think I know they played together in the past, but Harden was a different player when he was on Oklahoma City. He was oh, not yeah. Yeah, he was not James Harden player that he is. He now. was not Fear the Beard yet. So I don't know. We'll see how that dynamic works out. The NBA's uh you know, we're only a month away from the NBA, so yeah. from preseason. I'm, I'm excited. So um we're kinda excited about that coming up. But yeah, Giannis and uh the Bucks and the seventy sixers are fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, the Eastern Conference top couple teams are, are pretty good too. So, um, kind of last thing here, can you tell our listeners where we can where we can follow Cap City League, how we can go watch the games if uh, we're in a local area? Sure. Um, yeah, we have a uh, the biggest avenue we use for sharing news and updates and schedules and things like that are social media, uh, Facebook, uh, YMCA Capital City Men's Basketball League, uh, on Twitter at YCapCity. And that's where you can catch pretty much all the, all of our news and everything. You post all your box scores and your rosters and updates during the game and stuff on there too, right? Absolutely. You can follow pretty much everything that's going on, um, last-minute updates on anything like that. Um, our games are in June, so right now uh, you're going to have to put us in your calendar. we got a ways to go. We're in, uh, yeah. starting the off-season now, but... We start mid-June. NCAA Summer Leagues can start June 15th. We usually start the, the first Sunday after that. Okay. And then we play uh, mostly on Sundays uh, at Valley Southwoods and West Des Moines. Sometimes we get a game up in Ankeny or something to make it easier for Iowa State. But we go through about middle of June. Or uh, we start in the middle of June, go through about the middle of July. Okay, and you'll post, you post schedules at the, sometime in the June time too? Um. Yeah, things come out late May. Players players can uh, get an application in April 
to start applying. And then uh, we usually draft around the 1st of June, and that's when we put out schedules and rosters and all that. Okay. Yeah, so go out there, and you said it was YCapCity, at YCapCity. Correct, YCapCity Go out there and give them a follow. And um, Derek Hanna, commissioner of the YCapital City League, with us today, giving us a rundown of, you know, kind of the players he's worked with, his experience working with the D1 basketball players and, and future NBA players, and giving us some insight on – college basketball's current state and we really appreciate you you coming out and, and giving us that today so yeah my pleasure thanks for having me guys love yeah. the show